Veteran Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. And hey, gardening friends, how are you all? Time to get going, 94841927. And you can email us by going to gardening at curtainfm.com.au. And a big shout out to the clever and witty Alan Simons for his breakfast tunes. And also to our cycling DJ, Jim Crine. And Jim will be back next week. Faye Caro, good morning. Good morning, Ray. What a lovely day. Isn't it just? It's lovely. See, I don't mind those brisk morning starts. I don't feel it. I get up out of bed in a warm bed, jump into my warm shower, get dressed, off I go. What's the the deal? Well, I haven't been wandering the gardens in the mornings, Ray, because it's very, very cool. It was five five degrees when I got in the car this morning. Yeah. But I'd blow back the driveway yesterday after weeding the edges, and it was Mm. just lovely to go out and, and see that this morning. Then coming up over the freeway, the big orange sun. The sunrise oh. this morning was absolutely spectacular. Mm. That beautiful tangerine colour. Oh, you wouldn't be dead for quids, would you? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> and the days are getting longer. <laughs> <laughs> what, by one minute? <laughs> well, they're starting. We've turned that I corner know, now. I know. And I must say, I, I actually do notice these shorter days because of everything that I'm trying to fit in and I'm being robbed of mm. probably that sneaky hour that I get in at the end of the day before I go inside, you know, probably around that six o'clock mark is when I will be wandering around outside. Oh, really? Well, yeah. I I noticed yesterday at four o'clock that it was getting you can nippy. feel that dampness. And I thought, oh, it's not good to be out here breathing this air. So yeah. I went in, got ready and head off to the footy club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> of course. All right. We're speaking to Dan, the bee man, Dan Delsett at 20 past eight. Look forward to chatting with Dan. He's one of our absolute faves. And speaking of another fave, at five past nine, Bob Melville. It is rose pruning time. It's time to think about it at least. It is, yes. And what can go wrong if you prune them too early? Yes. Mm. Yes, well, I've pruned one of mine early. I have, but I needed to because it had been impacted by the chili thrip and it was either that or nothing. It was looking very bad. And I thought, you know what? I'm here. I'm doing you. Yeah, so right or wrong, it's one of mine has actually right. been well, done because it's been so heavily impacted by chili thrip. Well, it'd be good to monitor it. And I am. See I was looking at can, it last night. And, uh, yeah, see signs of it being pruned too early, yeah. like Bob suggests. Mm. Yeah, like what frost in, issues? What can what yeah. can go wrong? I'll let. I won't steal his thunder. Oh, I'll okay. let him tell us what normally, happens if you do it too early. Normally, I like to uh, do it in August. Mm. That's the time. Yeah. So, absolutely. So, nine four eight four one nine two seven. We had a wonderful result from Radiothon last week, and may we thank all of uh, the gardening listeners who donated in that uh, two-hour time frame. Um, yeah, it was just. Uh, 
amazing. And the actual overall total, and I, I envision that could even change again, but the official total uh, for the week was hundred over $145,000. That is That's terrific. from the listeners, mm. yeah, to keep this place uh, ticking over. So yeah. we don't know who you all are, but for those yeah. that donated during the show mm. uh, for to make us look good, we thank you very much. <laughs> but thank you to all donations. Yeah. And we will be in contact with the winners of the morning tea. So yeah. we have two couples to come along. I've been busy at work this, this week. This has really had a got you Bob fired in. I've had three truckloads of mulch delivered. I've been doing edges and pulling out weeds and getting ready to plant, tizzing it all up, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, well, this will keep you, get you motivated, won't it, when you've got... Uh, As if a wedding wasn't enough, enough. to motivate now you've me. Added, added the pressure. All right. So you're looking at an email. Well, I we did. I, I was also going to say I realised it's only 20 weeks until our wedding in the oh. garden. And oh. so I thought, gee, Faye, there's a few things that you could be doing to have it ready at, at least a month before. It's no good leaving a lot of these things to the last minute. No. So, um, yes, busy, busy. And everyone can can take a leaf out of my book as well and get out there and do a little bit of weeding. You know, this week I've been picking the gaps between showers and getting out there and doing a little pocket. And sometimes you actually get more time out there than you, you plan you on yeah. or you get spurred on, you spur yourself on to finish that area. So yeah. you might just do a metre, yeah. but you might yeah. get on a roll. So once yeah. you've weeded it, if you can put a blanket over it, uh, a blanket of mulch, so it might be pea straw or or hay or lupin mulch, or it might be your tree chip prunings. If you've got a small garden, it might be the bags that you get from your local garden centre. Whatever's easy for you. And the sooner you can get that mulch on, the sooner you can su suppress that next lot of weeds because often they're quite little. Hmm. And the mulch too, even if you do get weeds after that, they seem to be bigger, healthier and looser. So they're much easier to pull and keep on top of. Yeah, that's mulch, true. Mulch is a wonderful thing and it has been alive this week, Ray. On Monday night, I gave a talk at the Cottage Garden How Circle. How did that go? It was very good. Well, they said it was very good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they yeah. found it interesting mm -hmm. and... It was all about fungi, but I slipped a bit of slime mould in there as well. I'm sure you did. <laughs> and very timely too. I encouraged them to get out the next morning and have a look at their mulch. And my mulch piles this week were just alive. There would be big patches of of creamy colouring, which would later or and the next day turn to a blackened area where the slime mould matures. And actually, Ray, one of the emails that we received this week was from Clinton Sue. And they have said, Hi, wonderful gardeners. We've spotted this beautiful frost-like formation mm. on weeds in our orchard. Can you tell us anything about it? Well, Clinton Sue, this is Diachia leucopodia, and it is one of the said slime moulds. Mm. And... Slime moulds go through different stages. So one of their stages is a plasmodium where they creep and they look like jelly. Mm. Can be coloured, can be quite clear, so you wouldn't notice it. But if it was yellow or white, you might notice it. So I find with this one, you don't notice the plasmodium stage. It just looks like glistening jelly. But when they're 
forming their fruiting bodies, which is what these guys are doing now, mm. they stand on little stalks. They might look like a little ice cream. And there's hundreds and thousands of them. So if you look at look closely at this, you will see gentle little icicle-looking things. It's also called white-footed slime mould. And it goes from little blobs of white jelly to pink and ageing to darker colours mm. before the spores release. Yeah, and okay. then it darkens. So it's it's a beautiful thing. They eat bacteria. Uh, they bring in other little microorganisms. And they're, they're just a wonderful and fascinating thing. They're part of the ecosystem, the zoo beneath our feet. And funnily enough, when they do flora and fauna surveys, Ray, these guys are Overlooked. not even mm. accounted mm. for. Yeah. So the insects, mm. the fungi, mm. uh, and the, the small invertebrates and slime molds, mosses and lichens don't get a look in. Mm. There you go. There's a, a larger photo. Yeah, it's beautiful. No, I saw this on the um, on the internet during the week. This is absolutely astounding. It's hard to describe that to the listeners, mm. isn't it? And it's magical when mm. you find it. Yeah. And it... It looks amazing when you look at it under a microscope. And I got yeah. such a fright the other night. I was up late looking at, at different specimens that I have. I'm sure you were. And, oh, this thing just charged around the corner at a rate of knots. And it was a springtail. But a springtail, which is a tiny little insect. Yes. Uh, when it's magnified. 40 times it just it looked up like on me. enormous like a dinosaur <laughs> I was like whoa and, and another thing i watched uh was did i tell you about the fungus gnat larvae that they colonize areas like this under bark okay. moist bark mm -hmm. and there are lots of little strands uh looks like silken threads which i believe have a relationship with the fungus gnats or vice versa so these larvae are clear and they traverse along these little silken threads. So 40 times magnified, I watched a couple of larvae uh, meet each other. They also have two little like tongues that hoover up what I think might be insects attracted to these little strands. And they just, they go around hoovering up food that mm. have been collected but the other funny thing is they can actually reverse along the same line so they pulsate moving forwards if you can imagine it hoovering up this food and then they want to go backwards because yeah. well they've yeah. come across something yeah. else yeah. and they just do do yeah. back they go yeah. pulsating along the same line i can just see you looking down <laughs> a microscope of something that's been enlarged 400 times and freaking out yeah absolutely oh, i'd love I, to have seen your face i laughed out yeah. loud a couple of times you know i just i, I want to share it. i can't wait until i can get some of those photos of what I see because it just it truly is an Attenborough moment <laughs> <laughs> a very own Fayakara all right so we're heading to Morley and we're talking about cycads hi John you were our first call for the morning good morning John that was very quick it was um, <laughs> anyway yes I've got these cycads I've had them for years um, some of them still quite small but other ones are, uh, are quite large. Um, most of them's in pots. Now, one of them in particular has been doing great for years, and all of a sudden, it just seems to be flopping down 
you know, all the leaves all just, um, you know, uh, well, flopping's the best word to use as far okay. as I can say. So collapsing? Yes, collapsing, yes. Well, that's yes. not a good sign. Uh, no, so if they no. haven't been repotted for a while, I do wonder if they're getting too wet in their pots. Ah, yeah, that could be it. Mm. And, uh, and another thing uh, with cycads, if the bottom of the pot has its holes blocked, the water may not be able to be um, to drain freely. So certainly, I th- although I wouldn't normally repot them until perhaps springtime, I think you need to investigate and get them at, at least one out of the pot and have a look at what the root system is like and what what could be going on and then just maybe pot it into the next size pot with some good quality premium mm-hmm. potting mix, mm-hmm. but also check for signs of bugs. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes around the crown you might see a jelly forming, which could be a sign of weevils eating into the crown and causing yes, damage. Yeah. Uh, yes. So do a bit of investigative work. If you find anything in particular, give us a call back, John. Right. I'll do that. Um, one of the other ones, although uh, very healthy, except for a couple of leaves, I've got yellowish um, on it now. I can't remember the stuff that I put on it. At my age, I'm 87. Um, <laughs> um, the memory isn't all that great. But um, I, I normally put it on um, uh, twice a year, this stuff. Um, I wish I could just... Would it be manganese? Uh, that's correct. That's okay. correct. All right. Yes. So if, yes. if you're applying the manganese, I don't think you'd be having the manganese deficiency, which shows up in, in frizzle top. So they do like trace elements as well, which is why when I talk about fertilisers and... Uh, particular for particular plants, a f- controlled release fertilizer that has a lot of trace elements. So look at the analysis on the packet, and you're looking for a, a big range of trace elements. Right. Um, now could you just um, say that particular one slowly? Because I'm hard of hearing. Okay. So I do apologise. A Complete fertilizer that is slow release, yes, and has a big list of trace elements. So you you need to analyze the packet when you're in the hardware store. Right, I'll do that. Okay, thank you very much for all that. I do appreciate it, and your program too, by the way. Thank you very much, John. Thank Thank you. Go well, John. Take care. Cheers for that. Bye. Okay, we're going to take a short break. When we return, we're chatting with Diana and Roberta. You're with Ray and Faye, straight back out to the lines. We're in Menorah. Diana, good morning. Good morning. Um, Can you please tell me, I bought a crepe myrtle tree this year, which was about three foot high, Mm. and planted it in a very large pot. I've looked after it, watered it, sea sold it, done everything. And 
Are they deciduous? Yeah. <laughs> yes, they are, Diane. I thought I'd lost. <laughs> oh, look, it happens. So you can you can rest. Yeah, it's and, scary, right? And it's a good lesson for a lot yeah. of other people out there. At this time of year, some plants will go deciduous, hence lose all their leaves. Now, don't throw anything out that you you know you're not sure of. Put it behind the garden shed or or whatever. And keep yeah. keep a lookout in spring. No, I, I've planted a lot of those little violets around it, and they've sort of taken over. Yeah. And I thought, oh, maybe they're suffocating it or something. But no, I'll just leave it in the pot and leave it be. Yes. What, what sort did you buy, Diana? Which one? It's um, it's a deep purpley colour. Mm. The leaves or the flowers? No, the wow. leaves are brown. Mm. And the flowers are a purpley, uh, yeah, purpley colour. It's very pretty. Zuni, I think, question, is that one? Zuni. Yeah, mm. I can't remember. The mm. other question I have, um, I live in a, a villa, so I've only got limited space and everything just about is in pots. Um, I want to buy a lemon tree to put out the back of my place because it gets full sun in the summer and I don't want to put up an awning or anything. I'm buying, this morning I'm going out to get a very, very large pot. And what sort of lemon would you suggest? I want one that will go to at least probably six foot high. Oh, don't get the lots of lemons. I find them to be small and stay stay small. Uh, a Maya or a Eureka? I think if someone suggested a Maya, and I, I thought I'd ask you which would be the best. Hmm. I I remember the Eureka having better flavour, but I think you'll find that Maya will give you lemons a better for longer, better performance. Mm. Yeah, I like the Maya. Mm. I, I'm not really concerned so much about it. Would be nice to get the lemons, but it's more to grow fast and give me shade. Oh gee, I that one I don't know, John. That John, can you please have a look? for a fast-growing lemon tree to around six foot. You you know, you can probably get them about that size already. Yeah. They, they just... Established mm, in the nurseries. Like to put in a large pot, you know, it wouldn't shock it or something? No. Oh, all right then. Well, depending on what size your pot is, but you might find one that's ready, ready to go. Yeah. And will give okay. you what you want now. I'm going to a place I've been recommended this morning that has... A homemade terracotta, and he'll make it to the size that you want. Gosh, wow! That sounds interesting. Yes, yes, uh, it's worth it. I won't say anything on air, but it's worth it. Oh, well, do let us know. Yeah, beautiful handmade terracotta. Oh, just like, just like you see in Italy and Greece. Oh my word! Okay, just like they used to do. Yeah. I've got some homemade terracotta pots or wow. hand handmade terracotta pots at yeah, home. That's right. mm. yeah. Anyway, so a Maya lemon you say? Well, we're going to get John to have a look at it to double check, but uh, we both vote for the Maya. But let us double check. All right. And if are you will you be still listening this morning? Yes, I All right. will. We'll be. be back to you soon then on that. And thank you. All okay. right. Good on you, Diana. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. And uh, we do have Dan online. We've got Roberta waiting. You choose. I, th- I think we need to go to Dan. I ho- Roberta, I hope you don't mind listening through the B Talk, and we'll speak to you 
in a while, or maybe she All can right. call back. Dan, good morning. Good morning, ladies. How are we going? Good. How are you? How are you enjoying well. winter so far? Winter has been uh, very cold. Yeah, yeah. Even colder for the West Coast Eagles last night. Yeah, you were there, were you? No, no, no. I had to watch it uh, on the TV. Ah, oh, so you're a happy man, were you? Uh, I'm a Frio fan. Oh, okay. So, but but the other the other part of the household is uh, was uh, kissing noises at the TV oh, all night. Oh my gosh! It's, <laughs> it, yeah, it's hard when the household's divided. No, we we're we're Frio people in my house. So, yeah, yeah, we've, yeah, we've been they, enjoying they did it. Pretty good. They did pretty good. Well, yeah, they're turning around a little bit, aren't they? So mm-hmm. yeah, no. All right. So let's let's go. Where are we, Faye? Well, today we are going to talk about flowering plants for bees. Okay. Feral hives, and there was something else on my list that I think I picked up the wrong sheet today. Oh, so, oh, here we go. Uh, so what I was thinking, actually, too, Dan, tell tell us, well, certainly myself, a little bit about the habits of bees over winter. What, where do they go? What do they do? Okay. Yeah, just yeah. like to know because they're not as many. You're not seeing them at the moment. No, no, that's right. Well, um, by the end of May every year, we kind of uh, call a halt and we check the hives, making sure that they're strong and robust and we probably put a new queen in to the hive in uh, March or April just to get them through the winter nice and strong and out into, into the spring and they'll be ready to go and raring to go into all the new flowers. So <clears throat> we generally um, close the hive down in such a way that it makes it warmer um, we put in, uh, for example, at the entrance where it's fairly wide, we generally shorten that off to about one third. So there's about six or eight bees can get out rather than 20 or 30 at a time. So that sort of uh, is like closing the back door a bit, keeping them warmer inside. Yeah. Now, in, inside the hive on a really cold night, <clears throat> the bees do something which is called sonication. And what they do is they they sit on top of the frames and they shiver. And the shivering effect warms all the atmosphere around themselves. Mm. And when you've got 50,000 bees in there all shivering, the warmth keeps um, everybody nice and warm. And, of course, then they stop that once the morning warms up a bit. And so... um, if it's uh, 12, 13 degrees, they'll come out and fly during the day on a sunny morning. Like, it's uh, looking fairly pretty out there today. So those bees will come out after. It was 10 degrees when I got up this morning. So oh, you got up saying, late, you know, Dan. <laughs> 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 They're probably saying, well, it's a bit too chilly. We'll wait, wait a few more uh, minutes. And then they go off and, and see if there's anything around. And, and there's some still some uh, early flowering wattle out there. Yeah. So they'd be going out there to get a bit of pollen. Mm. And um, if they needed to, to bring back a little bit of water, some dew or raindrops, they'll uh, put, that, put that on their bodies and, and, and have a drink and bring that back for the gang and feed the, feed the queen with a nice fresh drink of dew water. Um, so they really function less actively during the winter months but on the sunny days, they do go out and have a really good look around, uh, so it's good. But um, the, main, the main thing they have to do, of course, is to, if they're hungry, they just start to eat into their supplies a little yeah, bit. They, yeah. We leave it behind for them. And they're able to enjoy that and just 
uh, suck on a bit of honey and feed the gang. And the, the queen generally will lay a few eggs, but not a lot, J- just enough to kind of keep the whole hive ticking over a few new bees are emerging. And um, <clears throat> usually at this time of the year, there are not too many drones left. If not, you know, they eat so much food that they generally kick them out early. <laughs> Uh, yeah, mm. they kick them out and say, no, no, you guys. And then when the spring comes, the queen says, oh, we'll have some more drones. And so she'll lay a whole bunch of drone eggs and they get in there and they keep everybody warm and they're busy around and, and make a nuisance of themselves and, you know, loaf about and smoke cigars and all yeah. the rest of it. Yeah. And then, then the, the bees are ready to go. But, yeah, the winter time is uh, kind of a special time for them because they kind of consolidate what they're doing and they get used to each other. So it's really good. Yeah. Very interesting. I was looking on, on the the website and it talks about hive monitoring. So yes. what, what does that mean? And it's uh, also sound yes, a bit technical. Well, it's not that not that difficult. When we uh, we've been teaching all the new beekeepers, you see the the WA Apris Society. We've got about a thousand something members, and so over the last. Um, 15 or so years we've been teaching everybody the gentle art of beekeeping and there there are good ways and correct ways to do it and one of them is hive monitoring and in order to do the hive monitoring we have to go to the beehive every two weeks and open the hive up and check the honey supplies check how the queen is laying uh, the general health of the hive and then we in while we're there we, we switch around the frames inside so that it's more beneficial for the queen to lay fresh eggs on fresh foundation in the hive on the frames. The, uh, if there's a surplus of honey, of course, well, then that's our cue to take it out. So we might take out three, four, five, six frames of honey and leave behind three or four, just enough for them in case they have a wet, wintry patch or a cold patch and they need to eat a little yeah. bit of honey left behind. Yeah. But every two weeks during the season, that starts about the middle of August, through to the end of May every year. We check them every two weeks um, and so that the queen bee keeps in touch with the humans by smell and sight. Okay? Yeah. So the monitoring business is very important. So that everybody... um, uh, in, involved in the, the looking after of the bees and the beehive, it, is, it remains connected. It's like what we call a synergistic connection. So I guess they, there's that familiarity. The bees get to know yeah. who's looking after them. No, and, no, no, no. The, bee, the bees don't get familiar with anybody. It's only mm. the queen that gets familiar with the beekeeper. Oh, really? Because the bees don't live long enough to get familiar. Yeah, okay. It's the queen bee that lives for, you know, up to five years. She remembers what's going on. So if the, if the beekeeper and the, and the crew looking after the bee, beehives is, in fact, uh, very diligent and caring and we, we add extra bits in there regularly and everything's done nice and quietly and carefully, the queen remembers all that. And so she then distributes that message to the 50,000 bees. Look, don't worry about these guys. They're my friends. You just get on with your work, ladies. And it, you have a harmonic beehive. It, it, the harmony is there. And so everything is fairly quiet. And we don't need to um, smoke them as much. And we don't need to um, terrify them into believing that, that uh, we're the dominant species. Because the, the smoke calms them, doesn't it? 
Yeah, well, it tells them uh, that uh, something's wrong and um, they need to uh, do other things rather than sting the people around them. Right. Now, can you just remind us how long a bee, a worker bee lives for, Dan? 45 days. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Not long. So, so the, the worker bee, the worker bee is a remarkable thing because <clears throat> it starts off in the first 30 seconds that it emerges from the cell, it becomes a cleaner bee. It starts to clean everything around it. So it goes to work immediately. So that's why it's called a worker bee. And then during the next 45 days, it transitions through a whole lot of stages, including flying, of course. Um, and they end up doing 35 separate complicated tasks up until 35? the day they die. Gosh. Yes. That's a big resume. It's a big resume, yes. I've got a big list of all those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> another time when I, I come over to see you, I'll, I'll read it out to everybody. Very it's good. Amazing. Very, and, very amazing. And another and the thing... Queen Bee, of course, she just mooches around laying eggs and giving, giving instructions to everybody else. Oh, she, she doesn't mooch when she lays eggs, from what I understand. No, she can lay <laughs> a couple of thousand a day when, you know, when it's peak. Yeah, 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 yeah. Her own body weight in eggs in a day. Oh, gosh. Don't you love those that. stories? Now, I <laughs> thought it might be a good idea to also explain the difference between a swarm and a feral hive. Yes, what a good idea. Well, the, um, the feral hive, of course, usually found in uh, the tops of trees and in hollows and people's letterboxes and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Unfortunately, when the bees uh, leave a beehive or leave a, an old tree because it's overcrowded, that's when usually when swarming occurs. And then the scout bees go off looking for a suitable hollow or someone's letterbox or an empty pipe somewhere or um, a half-empty um, um, place where there's a bit of space and a bit of dark and a, a Telstra box in the ground. is Or a, a compost box. bin. Or a compost <laughs> bin with a lid half off, you know. Mm. And then that you get all these frantic calls from people saying, Dan, quick, I've got problems with my compost bin. And, um, yeah, getting the bees out of there is not always easy. Uh, mm. But we, we can we can manage it uh, most of the time. For sure. So that's a, that's a swarming moment when the bees have become overcrowded. And so uh, that's, the, that's the feral hive swarm. In a, in a uh, box of bees or a hive of bees kept in suburbia, if the beekeepers are diligent and looking at the bees and moving frames around and taking off the surplus honey every two weeks as is instructed, the bees don't swarm. Mm. They just don't swarm. They don't need to swarm. So when we teach them how to be beekeepers, we make the, a very strong impression on them to be diligent about taking care of the bees and making sure that you understand the life cycle and not let them get too overcrowded. Please do remember to take the honey off when it's there and please remember to change the frames around and give the queen space to lay eggs. So that technique in itself slows the swarming impulse completely. Well, okay. and avoids it, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Mm. In a practical sense, it avoids the swarm. Yep. Mm. So my, bees, my bees in 20 years have never swarmed. Oh. But I've seen plenty of bees swarming out in the wild or, you know, from a tree into other people's places, yes. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that it, it looks really scary when you see them moving through, but they're not interested in stinging people at that time, are they? 
No, because they fill themselves up with honey before they leave the hive. Mm. And they're not protecting their they're honey. They're not being protective. That's right. That's right. Mm. Yeah, there's been lots of people. Um, in fact, I, I was sitting in my back porch one morning and uh, I had an empty bee box next to me and I saw a couple of scout bees coming and I thought, hello, there's a swarm somewhere. And about half an hour later, I said to my quick go inside, there's a swarm coming. Well, I sat still. And 50,000 bees arrived over my head and went straight into the box, completely ignored me and went straight into the box. And so then um, uh, I let that settle down for a couple of days and then I put it into my apiary and it was life as usual inside a box. Oh, it is fascinating. And they were beautiful bees with a nice fresh queen. It was good. Now, we're running out of time, Dan, but could you just throw some ideas around for flowers that are really good for bees, flowers that will uh, be in bloom for a long time, maybe through through winter uh, or and probably the peak of summer? I think that might be the toughest time for bees, might it? Can be, uh, depending on the rains, of course. Um, I've got a bit of a list here, of course. Um, uh, our... Uh, Fayard Dumbaya is still flowering. Can you ah, believe it? Ah, yes. The um, <laughs> wedding bush, white wedding bush. Yeah, the, uh, is it South African? African wedding bush? Mm. Dumbaya? Yeah. Natalensis. Anyway, well, that says it, doesn't it? From yeah, Natal. That's it, that's it. yep. That's Dumbaya it. Natalensis. Yeah, it, it's, um, it surprises me. It, 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 it flowered actually twice this year. <clears throat> Once in the in the spring and then late in the autumn. But, um, you know, if you're looking for any kind of flowers to put in a new suburban block and you want to go water-wise, I think the West Australian natives take a lot of beating um, rather than roses and things like that. So let's start at the top and say wattle. So if you're able to go to one of the main nurseries that sell native plants, you know the one. Yes, yes. Um, then you, you can get a, a, a wattle specimen and make that your feature tree in the middle of your yard or some um, grevilleas that are prostate and go down low and flower red and then you've got all the grevillea varieties that go with it Um, down the way from where I live here there is a a pincushion hachia still flowering still flowering So, so it started in April and it's just kept going so when the bees are looking for something to eat in the colder autumn days, then the hakeas come to the rescue. Very good. Mm. Mm. Any other you've got all your eucalyptus. Oh. I'm sorry? Oh, yeah, no, keep going. I say then you've got all your eucalyptus varieties and um, uh, the, list, the list goes on. So there are small eucalyptus trees you can choose, um, <clears throat> the, the pretty ones that flower in the autumn. Uh, the name escapes me, the one I'm thinking of. Uh, it's a smaller tree with a smaller leaf, but has pink or um, bright pink flowers or orangey coloured flowers. But if you want a specimen tree in the front yard, there's lots of carimbias um, and all those kind of plants. The, um, uh, let's have a look here. Um, shrubs. Yeah, the the the, the, the banks here. <clears throat> in fact, there was a bit on Gardening Australia the other night about the uh, small varieties of banks here that seem to be quite popular. Yeah. 
uh, provided you don't put manure out. You know, you don't need to manure those kind of plants. You just plant them in the sandy soils and they go. And they just need their own leaf litter to keep them going, really. Um, the uh, Where I've got some bees down in a place called Belia down south in the southern suburbs, we've got a huge range of localised grass trees, which produce a fabulous flower in the spring. They sure do. And the bees go absolutely insane over that stalk of white flowers. Yeah. And uh, we've got firewood banks all over the blocks up there. And um, they, they, the bees go crazy over the Banksia flowers. And, of course, the honey that comes from Banksia is so different. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. Dan, you've mm. been amazing, as you always are. We have to move on, uh, yes. unfortunately. Thank you so much for sharing with us and the listeners. It's always very entertaining, very interesting. Hope to have you in the studio very soon. And Bev has asked that you stay on the line because she has a message for you. So don't 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 hang up. I'm putting you um, back to Bev. Put your woolies on, girls. Yes, (laughs) indeed. You too, love. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, now I've popped him back to Bev, and we need to do this. Curtain Radio. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening with Ray and Faye. And next weekend, that Sunday the 3rd of July, is the Northern Orchid and Garden Fair. Now that's on at the John Septimus Row Community School, which is in Mirabooka Avenue, Mirabooka. It's a fantastic event and yeah, cannot recommend it highly enough if you would like to go and have a look at orchids and African violets. There'll be bromeliads and gerberas and zygo cactus and there's demonstrations and sales and raffles and entries only $5 and that includes a cuppa as well. So don't miss the Northern Orchid and Garden Fair on the 3rd of July, which is Sunday week, 9am to 3pm. And that's in the John Septimus Row Community School, Mirabooka Ave in Mirabooka. Fantastic. And just a reminder that uh, on today is the June meetup of the Aroid Society. Yeah. 9.30 start, goes to 12.30 at the Manning Community Hall to Conakey Crescent in Manning. And they have an auction, bring along your favourite Aroid, plant sales and meet other members. So everyone is welcome. Now, John's come back with uh, the fastest growing lemon tree. And the answer is that it is not a particularly fast-growing tree and can grow uh, 25 to 60 centimetres in a year. What he did uh, find out was that the fastest-growing citrus tree is possibly a blood orange. So the lady that called us wasn't particularly interested in the fruit, she said. Uh, so therefore, you know, that that might be an alternative. Otherwise, maybe just get one that's a bit more ad- advanced if you want a yeah. six-foot established tree. And they, yeah. they certainly are available. They're out there, mm. absolutely. Now, last weekend, Jasmine of Safety Bay called to ask about a Cape Gooseberry bush. And we did have one lady call in. Uh, Jasmine, I will contact you later. I did find one in my garden that had popped up, so... I'll be potting that up for you and I will be oh, in touch. Oh, that's decent of you, Faye oh, Very, very it's, kind. It's what I do in my spare time, <laughs> I know. Now, how would you like to win some Very Grow products? Oh, yes, please. Yes, please. All right. Well, I was chatting with Ramiz yesterday from Very Grow and he also has a new product just being released, which is the 
foliar spray of Variagrow. So what I might do is mix it up so that you receive a litre of Variagrow and a litre of the foliar spray. That would be a good combo, wouldn't mm. it? So I might mix that up for you. Um, it is a revolutionary garden fertiliser and it's made from Aussie wool. Uh, it's a, it is a scientific breakthrough and it is a gardening game changer created right here in WA turning Australia green. It is safe and it's natural and it could be the best thing that ever happened to your garden. If you'd like to learn more about Verigrow, simply go to verigrow.com.au. Would you like to try it? Would you like to win it? Must be a Curtin FM member and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. Be the third caller through to Bev on 94841927 and you must be able to collect this prize. We cannot put this one in the mail. Third caller through, yes. So, and you must be able to collect from the station and we're open from 9am to 3pm weekdays. Okay. Great prizes. You always come up with great giveaways, Ray. Well, you got to it's got to be worthwhile and this this is a great product. We we we've used it ourselves and uh Remez is very generous. Uh, and and it's it's a it's a very economical product too. The way you use it, like uh, a capful to nine liters, you know, mm. it lasts for a very long time. It, it's interesting, you know. Sometimes we get products from the hardware store, and mm. the amount that you have to use means that it doesn't go very far. Mm. And sometimes they're priced; they look priced evenly. But the way you mix it up and the actual literage yeah, that yeah. you can get, it's quite yeah. interesting to work out What's the what? difference. And I find because I've got such a large garden. You you would well, you would be focused on that, absolutely. Well, I I have to be mindful of that. And some of the products that are that are out there, although they are very good, mm. they don't go very far in my garden. Exactly. So, and it becomes very expensive. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, often I'm looking to to build up the soil. This week we did a bit of weeding on the verge, ready to put in a bit of palletised chook manure around because that does go a long way. And then the mulch goes around that. So we're building up the layers. Mm. It gives the plants a little bit of a boost. Um, you know, there are times of the year, well, including now, where my garden looks healthy. Yeah. And it's either that or slow-release fertiliser where a, a big tub of, I think it's probably 10 kilos, will do half the garden so I can make it go a long way and make it affordable Okay, just yeah my thoughts yeah no we <laughs> like your thoughts thank you uh, we have a, received an early email today from Carla and she says that she has three flourishing anthuriums or flamingo flower plants yeah a red a white and a pink mm. they were small when she bought them but have grown very fast in their little pots and will need re repotting in spring when it's warmer. Good point, Carla, because they are a warm season growing plant. They don't like the cold, so they will do better when it's warmer. And now is not the best time to pot them up and unless they were suffering. They can do quite well when they're root bound, but giving them a bigger pot will help them with bigger leaves. She wants to know what to repot them into. They're currently in Koya, which can hold a lot of water and stay too wet. So she wants to know if she can use the coarse orchid bark. Well, yes, Carla, you can. I would get away as much of that coir as you can. Mm. But our go-to potting mix uh, recently, since we've been learning more about the epiphytes, which 
this is. It likes to have a draining light mix. Often these plants grow up in trees where they're attaching to bark and the moisture comes from the environment more than needing it to be in their roots. Uh, so a, a coarse bark that is lightweight and free draining. So you can use your orchid bark. You could use um, uh, the white perlite, mm -hmm. uh, add some slow-release fertiliser. You could also add uh, charcoal into the mix yeah, to sweeten it. And all of those things will help provide a free-draining open mix, much the same as you would probably use for Hoyas. Yeah, okay. Mm. And aroids. Okay, so, all right. Well, we will be back shortly. Curtain Radio. You're tuned to Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain FM 100.1 and we will be heading to the news at 9am. And we do have a winner, Sonia. She's a new uh, member of Curtain Radio. She joined at Radiothon. Good on you, Sonia. And, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll enjoy these products. And, yeah, give us some feedback about how you go with them. We'd love to hear. All right, and we have, in the next hour, I will give away our $75 Bigger Trees voucher. You, you'll get to go shopping again. All right, anything that you needed to add? Well, John has just brought us in details of Pepper Cottage, which is an open garden. Is that our first up, one for a while, a year? It, well, mm -hmm. first one for a little while, mm -hmm. uh, but certainly 16th and 17th of July, we will feature this on the show next weekend. Okay. Uh, ahead of our winter break. Okay, and we're having two weeks off in July as we do each year, and that will be is it ninth and sixteenth off the top of my head? Those it Saturdays. Could, it could yeah, be to those coincide dates, with school holidays. Mm. All right. We have Margaret online. Good morning. Morning, girls. How, How are, are you, you? Margaret? <laughs> Good, very good, but it's very cold, six degrees up here at the moment. Oh, well, that's a good chill for your fruit trees. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, about potting mix, look, I've always been concerned about the, the weight of potting mix. Now, mm -hmm. you know those grey granules that they use in hydroponics? I have, is it sort of foamy stuff? Oh, vermiculite or similar? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. It's extremely lightweight. Yes. Now, is there any reason why I couldn't use that and mix it with my potting mix to make it lighter and also draining, better draining? You you can use that, Margaret. Um, I don't know why. It's not my favourite, but if I had a bag of it, I would include it in my potting mix as oh. well. Just is 50-50 too much? Yeah, I think it is. I'm because it's kind of similar to perlite, I I would add it, it. I think it stays quite wet, even though it does drain. It will help still hold moisture, I'm pretty sure. No, definitely not 50-50. I think that's too much. Maybe 10 to 20% would probably be enough. 10 to 20%, okay. Okay, because yeah, I've I'm, I'm always been concerned about the weight of pots. I mean... When you mm. people buy these huge pots to grow a lemon tree, how can you, and you have to move it, um, people on their own, like that lady ringing up earlier about a lemon. Yes, the size of it. the pot. I, look, I know. But there are, if, if that is an issue for you, then you can put these big pots on a base that has wheels 
and oh, that yes. allows you to yes. move them around the patio and it also creates that gap between the the pot and the pavers so that you don't get roots traveling down or ants and slaters coming up into it so you know that that's a good option but i do know what you mean about the weight of large pots yeah I mean, can you buy a, a, i mean i've always bought a good quality potting mix but there's still a weight problem you know with the larger pots mm. because um well, you've got the weight of the pot, yes, <laughs> plus the plant itself, then and then, then the potting mix, and you add water. Because and water also makes it heavier, doesn't it? Mm. The, the moisture inside. I'm a bit of a fan of using plastic pots inside decorative pots. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I think so too. Mm. Mm. The only so, downside I know, of that. I know the downside. Yes, mm. you do when you. When you've left it for a while and you take them out, sometimes you can find spider webs in there and slaters, and you know it does create an environment for for pests, and certainly slugs and snails can Hang get in out there. In there yeah. But you you can overcome that yeah. uh, if you're aware of it. Oh well, you just have to wear a pair of gloves. Yeah. When you mm. lift the pot out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you protect your pot as well that way. Mm. Yes. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, there are any particular brands with, um, as far as I can work out, you know, most potting mixes, it's all heavy stuff because a lot of it's got sand in it. If Well, if you're not looking at big pots, there are a range indoors that come in smaller bags. Right. And uh, so like an in, I think you'll find that the indoor potting mix, the... Uh, African violet mix and sometimes the cactus and succulent mix are lighter plus to to get things home you've also got the blocks of coir uh, and seed raising mix that come in a block and you put it in a wheelbarrow and you fill it up with water and they swell but it's lightweight to get home yes yeah but I noticed your comment just minutes ago about coir um, holding the moisture, keeping some pots too wet. Because when they pot into them, they're growing in hot houses, and they are pure coir. Oh. So when we mix it with something else, we Different. overcome that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. I hope that helps, Margaret. Thank you very much. Okay. okay. Cheers. Bye. Take okay. care. Bye. And it's time for the 9 a.m. news. Mostly sunny today with a maximum of 19. Right now we're sitting on 12.3 degrees. The humidity is at 81%. Overnight you can expect a chilly minimum of 8, but tomorrow will be sunny with a maximum of 23. How beautiful will that be? And on Monday the minimum overnight is 11 with a maximum of 23 and partly cloudy. Our rainfall for June so far is 60.6 mils compared to last year where we had 93.6 mils. So do have a bit of catching up to do, Fayakara, but I imagine that might happen in July and August. Well, it did feel like Out a very wet week, Ray. We had overnight rains yeah. and we had drizzly days. I spent a bit of time inside yeah. and caught yeah. up on a few more things. We got an email back, 
feedback from Mark. This came in before the end of the show last week, but we weren't able to get to it. He said, thank you for the Rose Garden recommendation. And he said, what a great spot, even in the rain. Mum yeah. was very happy with her selection. And Rob and Katie at Melville Roses were great. Yeah. Have the attached photo. There's candlelight, black caviar and Fiona's wish. Thank you very All much, great Mark. choices, yeah. Mm. It was his mum's 80th birthday and uh, he wanted to buy her some roses. How beautiful. And so I think they went in the rain with yep. their brollies. Yeah. Lovely, lovely. And I did uh, want everyone to know that we are still wor- working on the water issues and yeah. I spoke to Eva Ritchie during the week and yeah. um, it's a case of watch this space. But we're not giving up. We've got work to do and we will power ahead. And this is around for listeners that are unaware about the bore restrictions and yes. those changes are coming in from September where mm. the restrictions are uh, watering for only two days a week rather than three when you have a ball. Okay, so uh, that that fight isn't over because it impacts not only gardeners but it impacts so much. Think of all our parks and think of the summers that we have here in Perth and our, 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 our fauna, our wildlife, you know, are very much reliant well, just keeping what we've got. We know we're yeah, losing a lot of trees yeah. and we're likely to lose more. It, I was thinking about it this morning, Ray, and I really think that the the peak time is the summer months. You know, yeah. I think we can manage between between yeah. autumn and spring. Of course. Um, you know, we'll get wiser with our choices. We mm. plant more more things that uh, need less water yeah. going forward. Uh, my hope is that we we don't end up with just succulents and just water wise plants. Yeah, that we still do yeah. have uh, a lot of native plants. I was speaking to Claire Palmer a couple of weeks ago, and she said that people were struggling even with some of their native gardens because mm. we've talked about how once you establish it, you know it can survive on once a week watering. Well. Maybe that's not the case when we get a run of 40-degree days like we did last that's summer. That's right. Nothing is designed to survive in that. And we, it's out in the desert. We need to support yeah. our trees. Absolutely. And we need healthy trees because once the trees start to suffer, their root systems become cro- compromised. They start dropping limbs and, you know, they can fall over. And we've seen a little bit of that happening that's around the place. been going that's on. stress. It and that sure will happen is. more and more. more. So... For yeah, sure. we're just going to do our best to be water wise, but also to not not have to live under um, restrictions that were not well thought out and without scientific basis. Oh, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, it's okay. we've been told a few furfies. <laughs> Imagine that. Mm. Lynna Bentley phoned in to thank us for Dan the Bee Man. Very interesting as always. He is, isn't he, Lynn? I mean, you can wind him up and just sit back and let him go. <laughs> and we could do the two hours here without drawing oh, breath. Oh, exactly. We, we love it as well. <laughs> we find him just absolutely fascinating. And I think he's just such a great storyteller yep. as well. As promised, we have Bob Melville online. We're going to be talking about rose pruning time. Bob, good morning. How are you? Good morning, young man. Oh, you're talking to me. We yes. are now. <laughs> oh, okay. Morning, uh, Faye and Ray. Morning. Sorry, yeah. sorry to bring you out of your garden, Bob, or are you out there on your phone? I know. I'm looking out from from my kitchen. How magnificent. What a beautiful yeah. property you have, Bob. Yeah, thank you. 
So we've got you here today because it's that time of year where we start thinking about our roses. Actually, I'm, I think they're still looking pretty good around the place at the moment. They are. So when mm. is the time that we should be pruning them, Bob, and what do we look out for? Well, generally, uh, July is a good month for pruning roses in Perth. Um, at, <clears throat> the best time is when they're at their most dormant stage. Yeah. So normally July is pretty good. If they're still flowering now, it's an indication that they didn't have sufficient water during the autumn time. And so you just leave them until they at their most dormant stage. So right to the end of August, early, uh, not the end of August, end of July, early August is fine. So it's better not to prune them while they're growing. Okay, all right. So wait for the the leaves to look a bit daggy, the leaves start falling off. Wait for them to tell you that they need that cut back. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They're not producing flowers. They need a rest. Yeah. And uh, and talking about water and all that sort of stuff, um, it is quite stressful for most plants when it's 40 degrees. Uh, A rose is very tough, especially on Fortuniana, which is the preferred rootstock in WA, and um, it'll go through drought without dying, but most all, all other um, rootstocks will, will die. So um, the, the most important thing as far as um, a rose is concerned is to keep it as young as possible. So when I'm sort of, when I see pictures of people that have uh, sent me um their rose bush and what's wrong with it. It's all grey um, stems and brown. Red's okay, but green and red. Uh, red normally is, uh, you know, uh, some varieties have red canes. So um, take out the old, even if there's only one uh, stem left, and then take 50% off. Mm. Um, when, when you read a lot of about pruning roses, they say look for dead and dying uh, pieces. Well, when you're dead, you don't do anything. So that's just 100 years old at least. So if you prune correctly, you don't get dead pieces on your rose bush. Um, people find it very difficult to find dead pieces of wood. And so they, they find it um, upsetting and, and they used to ring me and ask me, what do I do next? So um, gardening is supposed to be um, a very pleasurable uh, time of, of looking after your garden, not traumatic. So Stress, yeah. Mm. It, it, it's very simple um, and you need uh, a, a nice little saw and a good pair of secateurs, and that's basically all you need. And don't be frightened to cut, because if you don't cut, your rose bush will get old, and it's harder for um, a plant to push through old wood, a bit like me at the moment. Um, As you get older, your, your plumbing doesn't, you know, your veins start to clog up, so... Hardening of the arteries on plants are exactly the same, especially on roses, because they grow, um, they grow a lot and they flower a lot. So, yeah. 
Keeping them young is the most important thing. And when you are pruning, once you've taken out all the old wood, then you take 50% off and you always cut straight across, not on an angle. Okay. So, yep. so the old adage was <clears throat> you cut on an angle so the water doesn't sit on it and cause um, fungal problems. Well, that was brought out probably 100-odd years ago. So we're trying to get people to look at uh, gardening in a totally different way uh, and work with Mother Nature, not against her. And, of course, you cut back to a node? Uh, it doesn't matter. Oh, okay. It doesn't matter whether it's in or out because the sun does all the training. Right, okay. But So people think that they've, they're making their uh, bush so it's nice and round and there's a vase shape and all that. That's irrelevant. Mother Nature 37 million years ago didn't have those people going around with secretaries. So, yeah. And they've survived 37 million years. So we've cut off all the the old uh, canes and we've cut yeah. back by 50%. How can we encourage more flowers? And what would we do wrong that would muck that up? Well, um, the most important, as I said, you know, is to keep them young. And young means um, from 12 to 6 months or 6 to 12 months. Once they've flowered, they've done their job. So um, you cut back right down to the base of the, the rose bush where it was grafted or budded. And you must take it out. And it's a good idea to have it as clean and neat as possible so it will heal over and, and, and the rose will stay young for 50, 60 years at least. Some varieties don't because their DNA isn't uh, as strong as some of the others. So yeah. it, it, it's important once you've cut out, and they, they, you have to remember, once you cut out your um, old canes right to the base, then the next is the younger wood, which you take 50% off that. And that will give you um, good flowering for um, six to nine months at least, nine months at least. Perth, Western Australia is, is the premium place in the world for growing roses, mm. and it's the uh, it's uh, something that people don't recognise. Uh, and when I go overseas and I see rose bushes that are planted uh, eight to ten inches apart to get the same um, flowering as what we get a, a metre apart, so uh, we have the best sun, we have the best environment, uh, we're very lucky to live in this state, and yeah. people. People can grow whatever they like in, in WA and roses do extremely well. So a lot of people across Perth, Bob, have suffered with chilli thrips on their yeah, roses. Is there anything they have to be mindful at this time? Over the winter period, yeah. Well, they don't like um, thrip, don't like cold weather. Mm. So when, um, when it starts getting warm and, and this last season was quite bad yes um, and what happened was it was okay while it was really hot and it won't um, it won't persist when it's really really hot 
but then we had about a week of cooler weather and then that cold allowed them to the the um trip to hatch and yes they came out in a vengeance and um that was a big problem but spraying um you have to do a, a spray for three weeks every week once a week um to control it um the commercial one that we use, we, we we haven't got it up here, but if we use it on um, the, the people's or places down in Perth, um, we only spray once with uh, success. Um, ours is uh, you know a lot stronger than the, the household um, success, but success is a, a very good product, but. Um, I recommend that they double the dose and um, put five mils per litre of dishwashing liquid and do it once a week for three weeks. And you must do the ground as well. Yeah. So are these little little devils uh, overwintering in the soil? The chili thrip. Uh, yeah, they'll, they'll stay in the soil, yes. So, Bob, Andrea has just sent us an email and said people are pulling their roses out everywhere. Yeah. How have they affected the rose industry? Uh, Robbie's flat out. Yeah, my mm, son. Still. Yeah. Well, they're such a good advertisement, aren't they? they their gardens yeah. look amazing and people still love roses and they, a lot of people still won't give up on them. Well, I mean, they give you the most out of any plant that you'll you'll ever grow. Um, plus, you know, they're, they're water-wise in WA. Um, and we know that uh, when you go out into the country, some of the um, old homesteads uh, that haven't lived in for 50-odd years, um, there's still one or two roses that as soon as it starts raining, they'll come out and flower during the winter. So... Bob, I would like to know how much water roses need and how how should the garden beds be prepared and fertilised for best results in spring. But we do have to go to a break. So would you mind just holding, please? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, oh, thank thanks. you. This is Let's Talk Gardening. You're with Ryan Fay, and we currently have Bob Melville online, President of the Rose Society of WA. Bob, are you still there? I'm here. Ah, very good. Thanks for waiting. So what I would like to know is how much water should a rose need to be kept looking good? I've never really measured it. (laughs) It it matters now because um, everyone is only allowed to water two days a week in the growing season, so kind of from the 1st of September. So if you can only water twice a week uh, and so one is three days and one is four days apart is that going to be all right and or how do you improve your soil or what's your advice for getting people through let's let's do the water first okay we've had um two-day waterings for the general public that has have the water authority water yeah wars have been three um, so you're allowed 10 mils per watering. Um, so you've got 20 mils per week, which is sufficient to grow 
most things successfully. But so I- what's, not, what's not happening is that they're not preparing their ground correctly. So just digging a hole and putting a bag of uh, planting mix or potting mix um, isn't sufficient to hold that moisture. Mm, so, okay. so preparing a, a rose garden or any garden, um, what they did uh, 60 years ago is they used to use all their house um, rubbish, um, like all their kitchen scraps and everything like that, tins, the whole lot. And they would dig a, a, a hole or a trench um, and they would start at one end and they'd put the tins and everything in, in, the, in the hole and then, then they'd dig the next part of their weekly rubbish um, and, and bury the, the, the last week's um, cans and um, peelings and all sorts of things that go in their paper but not plastic there was no plastic in those days. And that, you know, that was how they built their, their gardens up in, in, in the sandy soils. So mm. sand is a great medium for growing. It's cool in the summer and warm in the winter. And that's what you need for plants. So um, there, are, there are lots of um, um, planting mixes and all sorts of things, but it's very simple to put cans in because cans are is iron, and so our big one of our big problems in Perth is is alkalinity. So iron is acid, and so the roots get around the actual uh, can, and it deteriorates to nothing after you know a, a few years. So as far as health wise and the environment, um, that's still a very good way of, of of making your garden bed. Mm. So digging a hole isn't the answer. And roses will will do beautifully, um, providing you do uh, the whole bed and not just a hole. And mulching is, is very important um, because that's like uh, insulation. If you had a house or live in a house where there's no insulation and it's 40 degrees, it's terribly hot. You don't survive very well. Mm. So plants are exactly the same. And and that that twenty that twenty mils ten and that's legally you're allowed ten mils per watering. So you were talking about furfies. So when it sprinkles, they'll tell you to turn your water or retick off. Um, but that does nothing. So what happens is once your ground gets dry, it stays dry right through winter as well. Um, and if you don't have your wetting agents, um, it'll stay dry basically forever. And and once it dries, especially um, like I was digging a few plants out there yesterday with the tractor, and it was still dry, and we've had you know fairly good rain so far. So um, it's using common sense. You can still use a handheld hose in 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 summer. Yep. So legally, um, but people are getting lazier and lazier, and you know you know there's no disrespect to the, the public, but 
if you want a nice garden, it's easy to look after if you, you follow some simple rules. And once spring comes and you start getting hot days and you see it, your plant starting to wilt, then it's used most of that moisture where their roots are. So then you think, oh, I'm better water it. But you never really wet that soil. So maintaining the, the water uh, or water content in, in your ground um, before it gets dry is, is very important as well. If the nursery industry did exactly the same as a household, um, we wouldn't be selling too many plants because basically they'd be dead. So, uh, you know, understanding how Mother Nature works um, and roses will, will, will certainly uh, go backwards if you don't water them, but they won't die. Mm, okay. So what then about fertilising? When and... Well, how? When? Okay. So you you don't you don't uh, fertilise once you've pruned. So and why? Why is that? Why is that? Because they're asleep. Yeah. So when you are asleep, you don't eat. So when they wake up, you'll see them starting to shoot, and that that's the time to fertilise them. So basically, two handfuls per bush not in a circle, all over the actual um, rose bed. Two good handfuls yep. of all purpose. Um, and I've, I've only uh, fertilised once this last year, and that was in September. And why is that, Bob? Uh, because I'm using a good fertiliser. That yeah. lasts six to nine months? Yeah. Yes, okay. And I, I was very surprised. Uh, because when you build your ground up to have a lot of organic material in, when you do feed them and you feed the right amount, um, it stays in the ground. Mm. And you're not, um, and I mean, sand is, I still say sand is one of the best mediums for growing in. Mm. If we used um, clay materials um, like beautiful loam and stuff like that in pots to try and grow them. They don't survive, they die. So um, the sand is great, but preparation is everything. So, Bob, how we've seen your roses, and they're magnificent. So how did you prepare your soil? And is it sand where you are or clay? No, no. Um, it, my, my, where I've got most of my gardens where it was a gravel pit. So there was no, it was basically like sand. It was sterile. Um, and there's rock um, sometimes, you know, and on the surface. So all I did was I put a lot of sheep manure in. Mm-hmm. And sheep manure is only grass, lawn clippings, grass. Yeah, organic. Organic, yes. So um, I just used my rotary, big rotary hoe, which is on the back of the, the tractor, and I just, uh, hoed it in, left it for a few months, and then started planting. So when you do when you do use a lot of organic material when you're planting, especially roses, you don't plant them too deep because that's one of the big problems as well. Is that once that organic material breaks down, it starts to shrink. So then it takes the rose um, down 
further into the ground and once that where it's been uh, butted onto or grafted, once that hits the soil, it starts getting its own roots. And once those um, they have their own roots, they forget about the, the Fortuniana, which is um, given it the strength. It forgets about that, and that's why you see a lot of roses get very old very quick. And so you must have that crown above the ground. For sure. Now, so just... that's how I did mine, mine and um, it's worked successfully. Very good. Now, just one last thing that I wanted to come back to, and that was if you prune your roses too early, what might happen? What could people be looking out for? Well, it's called blind shoots. So what happens is if you prune too early, the the ground is still warm and the air is still sufficiently uh, enough to make it start growing. So you can't see it grow. Um, it'll just move a little bit. Um, the actual bud will get it a little bit bigger and then it stops. So when it stops, it kills the flower, which is already there. So once you do that, it'll keep having blind shoots. Um, we don't understand why it keeps doing that but um, what happens is most people will say oh, well, I dug it out and I said oh well I won't throw it away I'll put it out the back well that stops it completely and then it starts to flower correctly so it's one of those um, funny things mm. that uh, happens with roses. All right very interesting well hopefully we, yeah. everyone's now armed with what to do and when to do it and if you're not sure and if you'd like to learn more there's a couple of pruning demonstrations coming up they are. they are both uh, from 10 to 12 in the morning uh, one is the 2nd of July at the Scarborough Uniting Church and the other is the 6th of July at the Peace Memorial Rose Garden, Netherlands. So people can find more information from the website, which is rose.org.au. Thanks, Bo. And, and you know, we encourage people to join the Rose Society um, and get the latest on how to grow your roses successfully. Yeah, for sure. And it's our it's our 90th year this year, wow. um, the Rose Society. And so the government has kindly given us, uh, they're going to put on a, uh, a, a memorial dinner type thing at, um, um, not Government House, um, Parliament House. Wow, that's very nice. On, in October. So we're, we're thrilled with the government um, and they've come out and they're doing um, the Rose Justice and uh, hopefully we'll plan a memorial garden in, in Parliament House somewhere. Wonderful. Great to get that recognition. Yeah, it is. It's lovely. And, you know, I, I, I know that roses in Perth grow as good as anywhere else in the world. Well, you do because you've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, don't tell them how long. <laughs> <laughs> you look after yourself. I will. Thank Thanks you very Bob. much, Bob. Thanks for inviting us and, and good luck out there, all the uh, gardeners. Um, yeah. It's very easy. Use common sense. Yes. And if you do something right, remember how you did it. <laughs>
<laughs> Good tip. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Bob. Right, love. Yeah, Cheers. Have a lovely day. You okay. too. Thank you. Bye. And that was Bob Melville, everyone. Bob is the president of the Rose Society. WA. We're in Thornley. Roberta, you're back. How are you? Oh, thank you, girls. I do apologise. I had to nip up the road. No, oh, that's okay. No problems. <laughs> just, just quickly, um, my hibiscus, it's, it's going banana ramas. I mean, it's absolutely <laughs> laden with flowers, but um, it, it needs... I'm just wondering if it's the wrong time that I can just give it just a little bit of... Just take, like, a few of the... The, um, the branches down a little bit? Well, you can if you need to. I don't think mm. it's the best time of year, Roberta. No. I think I'd mm. wait um, probably about 10 weeks yes. uh, when when we're closer to that warm September. weather. But, yeah. you know, if something is getting too big uh, and it's growing up into gutters or it's just the oh, wrong shape, yeah, yeah no, I... Oh, no, it's, it, I mean, it's just absolutely laden with flowers. and it's a, I mean, I rescued this plant and it's absolutely gone bananas. Yeah, no, I oh, know that's okay. No, I'll leave it because I don't want to um, do anything to it. And just quickly, I was watching the news the other day and what are they going to do with all... They're going to raise all those... All that, the bush, to put in a wave park in Jandicott. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, Very sore yeah. subject, Roberta. Yes. Well, yeah, that's yeah. a point of contention, isn't it, eh? Sure is. Uh, <laughs> I haven't contacted them yet. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I was a surfer girl back in the day. I grew up at North Beach. Yes. And every day of the school holidays, I would walk to Triggs with my fiberglass surfboard under my arm. And I, I just live for surfing. There is nothing better than being yeah. out on that ocean. With nature. Well, why do they need a wave park? I mean, hello. Well, but anyway, I hello. Just, where is the water coming from? I, when I saw that, I thought I must ask the girls on Saturday. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. I was we quick to share it. the post <laughs> and I got some interesting feedback. I am still continuing to dig, Roberta. Uh, this is. I also realise that when they do their surveys, because I understand they haven't got the environmental protection mm. approval as yet. And so far on our property, we have identified 765 species to date. Mm. Now, they, yeah, I'll be telling them that they've missed a few things. They need to be going out in different seasons to find out what's there. There are orchids that are popping up all through the year at different times. There is a lot of things to consider. The Banksia bushlands are endangered. So if they're... I don't want to hold you up, but I just recently returned. I went to visit my brother in Queensland and Brisbane. And when we were driving around, and I said to him, I said, it's, it's like, it's, I said, I can't believe it. Well, I know what it's like at home anyway. I said, I can't believe this. I said, the amount of the vegetation that's in this suburbs compared to everywhere you go, you've got your green belts. It's absolutely lush, mm. lush with um, vegetation. Yeah. Well, a few years ago, I had a visitor from America and I took her on a tour up the coast. And whereas I was thinking there was a lot of land cleared, I was actually really pleased to see the beautiful spaces that we did have and the bushlands, given that this is a couple of years ago. But there were areas that were beautiful. You know, you used to be able to go for a drive around Christmas time and you'd see the beautiful orange Christmas trees. Yeah. You drive oh, through Jandakot oh, and oh, yes. those numbers have decreased. 
we we yeah. have the threat of uh, dieback or phytophthora taking yeah. out small pockets, I believe, at this stage. Um, but we, yeah. we do need to recognise what's there before it's critically endangered or extinct. Or lost forever. Oh, I know. That's one of my... Um, the bush Christmas tree and the flowering red gum. They're yeah. my... Yeah. Yeah, love them. Oh, but I didn't mean to hold you up, but I do appreciate the help. And as always, love listening to you girls. And yes, no, 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 you don't need a wave park. <laughs> well, you've you've hit one of my nerves there, Roberta. Yeah. So I couldn't I couldn't hold back. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> great, great call, Roberta. Thank you so much. Thank you, girls. Have an, and enjoy the rest of the weekend. We shall. You, you too. too. Thank you. Bye, Cheers. Girls. Bye. And I can see free lines, 94841927. You're with Ray and Faye, 20 minutes left of The Gardening Show. Coming up at 10am, George Minoldi with the classic 60s. Okay, straight back out to the lines. Did you want to say something first? No, no, I've just looked at the board. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Okay, we're in Gwellop. Margie, hi. Margie. Margie. Sorry. Margie, yeah. Morning, Margie. It is, yes. Good morning, a wonderful morning. <clears throat> I was listening to your uh, little chat on the wave park. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, you were talking about water restrictions, yes. which was a bit of a... <laughs> I know. It's all a bit of a slap, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. Mm. I was just wondering if the other night you saw Mr McGowan... Um, announcing that they're going to build a massive desalination plant up in Alcamos. I mm. did. About, yeah. about two kilometres from the beach and they're going to suck seawater into some bunker they're building. And uh, I don't know how they're going to get the water from the sea to the bunker without going under a lot of... Well, there's a lot of limestone up there, but it's a sand. Mm. Uh, Margie, I did say to Ray this morning that yeah. I'd seen something and I, what I said to her, I'll be open here, is I said it's a bit like uh, a parent who has two children and one isn't allowed new clothes and to go to a party and has to be home early and the other one is given new clothes, can go to the party and do what they Whatever want. They want. Mm. And it's like, mm. you know, we've just had this water taken off the bore owners on one hand so then they're going to build this wave park well don't know where the magic water comes from and then the desalination plant is announced oh my head's in a spin i feel like i'm on a merry-go-round i'm still looking into it all and i'm not the only one so where does the salt go when they take it out of the water do they put it back in the ocean I wouldn't think so, no. but they can. Um, they've got salt mines like further up the coast, so they would yes. separate it, and that would be a commodity. So, uh, but it's expensive. So that's the thing, you know. Water is expensive, and when it's sold to to customers, it's at a subsidised rate. I understand businesses have a different rate, and it's I understand much cheaper. But you know, I don't want to say too much before I've done a lot more homework because it's you know i'm a gardener and um yeah. Yeah. i i'm an enthusiast and i observe and i look for facts and yeah i know i know you girls live in the southern suburbs but well i do ever... ray doesn't well have a little drive along the the freeway 
through the city of Stirling, which is motto is greening the city and giving mm. everybody free dead trees. Yeah. Um, they have mowed down millions and millions of oh. trees, turned them into mulch mm-hmm. uh, to build a bike path on the east side of the I, freeway. I know where you're We have a very, very mm. good bike path on the western side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's the same thing, you know. The, the the good kid gets two party dresses and the other one gets to stay home twice. Yeah, and locked oh. and, yeah, and sent to their room. Well, don't worry, Margie. <laughs> Behind the scenes, we're going to continue asking questions and try and, um, you know, what I don't want is for our two-hour show to be controversial. I want it to be happy and we want to do the right thing and use water wisely and make it fair. So... That, okay, then, well, name. here's a gardening question. I bought a philodendron goey eye. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Goey, goey dill or something. Yes, yes. Is that indoors or out? Uh, for now, I would keep it indoors because I'm not sure how winter hardy they are. Uh, so for now, keep it indoors and then in the springtime, I'll keep you updated as to whether it is one that you could put out in your garden. Well, I think the plants have gone as crazy as the politicians because I have a a Swiss cheese that lived outside in the 40 degrees and thought it was wonderful. Oh, my word. Well, they had a wonderful time and I bought it inside and it died. Well, see, a lot of, I mean, there is no Mm. such thing as an indoor plant. So if you're going to buy an indoor plant, buy two so you can alternate them. They don't like the cold, so if it's protected outside, it would be fine. And, of course, summertime, you know, if you give uh, put plants in the location they like and they've got plenty of water, they they can thrive on the heat as long as they've got good water and canopy. Well, I bought a whole thing, two of those and two, two uh, stingrays and a couple of yes. others, and they're all out under the pergola. Yep, that's fine. They can stay there for now. <laughs> All right. Thanks for your call, Margie. <laughs> no problem. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. Have a wonderful Bye. Life. Bye. So to you. Bye. Okay. Let's wriggle on. We're in a double view. Good morning to Gail. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine, thank you, and I hope you are too. Yes, we are. We are. Thanks, Gail. Excellent. Um, I'd just like to revisit the pruning. The man was very interesting, but I'm not quite sure about... He said something about the angle of the cut. Mm. He said um, a flat, um, flat, not at, on an angle. And the reason for that is a square cut will um, create a surface area that is less than an angled cut. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Good. And uh, I'd just like to know if there's um, a group or a group forming um, to gather information about this wave park um, and the area that they propose with what you're talking about, the flowers and that in the area. Mm. Um, um, is there anything forming um, to um, so that they can you know, tell the council <laughs> that they need to revisit their decision? Uh, I don't know of any particular group. I know that, that I'm part of a... Um, Jandicott residents group uh, 
but this is probably bigger than that. Um, mm. I'm I'm happy if you email us or if we put you back to Bev to start a list or to keep you in touch where we can get information. Um, I know with the, the water issue, the Green Space Alliance and Turf Growers mm. Association amongst the nursery industry, like these people have all very, been working very, very hard mm. behind the scenes uh, with right. some... And they've gathered lots of facts, figures and yep. furfies. Uh, so that's why I say it's still ongoing. I'll put you back to Bev and I can keep you updated when I hear of something. Wonderful. Thank mm. you. Okay. Thanks, we'll Gail. We'll put you back to Bev. Thanks, Gail. Thank you. Thanks for the show. You're welcome. All right. And let's squeeze in one more before the break. Hazel, hello. Hello. Hi, Hazel. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, yes we can. Um, I was very interested in the pruning of the roses, but one thing that you didn't cover was if you've got a rose growing up a wall, um, how far do you prune that down? Okay. Do you do that 50% when you've got the... No, no, you wouldn't. If it's a climbing rose hazel, they act quite differently. So if it was over an arbour or something like that, what we do, we train them... Because the flowers come when a branch is horizontal and from there it puts up shoots. Yes. So yes. there's a lot more training involved. If you've already got that... Um, it's like a wall. Yeah. yeah. So if you've got um, the canes that go up, you start to train horizontally. They're all horizontal. Okay. So then you prune the shoots that are shooting vertically okay so so the, some of the old canes that they're coming right from the root mm. um last year I, I pruned one out that looked a bit daggy and there is another one and i don't know whether i should prune that out this year right okay i would suggest it's probably a good idea to get along to one of these pruning workshops it is quite delicate and it is quite intricate and it's probably not not something I can describe over the phone so yep. either someone needs to see your bush or you need to see how it's being done on someone else's there are okay. YouTube videos as well that would help yeah but, that would be because mm. I'm elderly and don't drive that much these days okay. um the other thing I just noticed I've got my um, blueberry bushes on the patio one's losing its leaves the other one doesn't can you prune out the middle wood on those now or is it too too cold no that would be fine yep good okay all right thank you very much for your help you're welcome thanks Hazel. Hazel. cheers for that Okay, a quick break. When we return, we are chatting with Eve and I will give away our bigotry voucher as well. So stay stay tuned for that. You are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. Eve, just a moment, love. We'll be with you uh, next. I have a $75 gift voucher to give away to bigger trees up there in Pickering Brook. What could you get with that? Well, they specialise in frangipanis, ornamental and fruit trees, but they also have a huge range of plants to select. Literally everything. And the new bare root stock is now arriving. The camellias and their azaleas are showing lovely colour. 
And there's a lot of new stock and varieties of proteas, leucodendrons and grevilleas. So your $75 shopping experience is going to be very, very exciting. And you can check out Bigger Tree's website and their Facebook page to learn more. Now, you must be a Curtin FM member not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. And would here is our question. This is from John. <laughs> they get curlier and curlier. <laughs> stranger is stranger. For fans of Sylvester the cat, the one that used to chase Tweety Pie, the expression suffering succotash, suffering succotash will be familiar. What would you plant if you wanted to make succotash? What are the two main ingredients to make succotash? Give Bert a call now on 94841927 and the $75 shopping experience from Bigger Trees is yours. Okay, we're straight out to Eve. Thanks for waiting. How are you? Hi. Thanks very much, ladies, for your wonderful program all the time. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> I've got two problems, but I don't have this time. So the most important one, um, about two years ago, I had um, a raised flower bed um, put into the garden underneath a tree um, that has got uh, their roots very close to the ground and you couldn't dig into the ground. Now, I planted two beautiful azaleas into this area under the tree. Um, they were both, um, They had both been in big pots for almost 30 years. They took off first. And then the the first uh, the biggest one started it started dying back and it's now completely gone. The first the other one looked fine first it made some made some nice new, uh, new growth um, and now it starts doing the same thing the new leaves are very small um, and I have been cutting back uh, areas of the plant that deteriorated more and more and when I look at um, the stem. Um, there, it looks as if there's some dieback in there. Uh, half of the area is green, the other, other one is brown. Um, I did plant into the same area where the other one died, um, a small camellia. That grew, made nice new leaves, and then it died. My, mind you, that was during the very hot um, uh, summer weather we had when we were, we were in the 40s. So I don't know if that's related to the death of the other plant, to the soil, to whatever conditions, I don't know what to do because now I've got some more plants that I would like to plant. And I'm not sure what to, how to um, avoid it dying as well. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Um, I when I first saw this comment on the board, dieback in azaleas, I did wonder if it is Phytophthora dieback. Uh, so, if it was Eve, one thing that you might be able to do is treat the plant with anti-rot and that can help. Uh, bushes, bushland can be treated with phosphite injections um, into trees like banksias. Grass trees cannot, they require a foliar feed. So I did a bit of looking into that this week. So we will in future weeks talk more about dieback or phytophthora in uh, bushland and gardens and what is affected and how how we can manage it, maybe what to look for. Uh, I know it's not an easy subject, um, but it, that comment is thrown around a lot about yeah. it could be dieback. So let's get to the bottom of it and find out. Um, as far well, I as... I shouldn't plant a new plants now until I know what's happening. Well, if it is, then choosing a plant, if it is dieback, 
then choosing a plant that is not affected by dieback in its place would would work. Uh, ah, okay. So, yeah, so we'll come up with a few a list of a few things that can be affected uh, and those that just aren't. So if it was dieback, would that um, fit the symptoms that I have described, that it slowly, slowly, one area of the plant seems to be dying back? Firstly, the, the leaves look... Um, um, they don't look as good well, as the others do and then um, die back more and more and more and when I cut off the, the stem um, half of the uh, uh, surface is green and the other half is right. brown I, I actually think if it was Phytophthora dieback it would be quite sudden but I'm not an expert and I would like mm. to get an expert in to talk about so this if it wasn't that then what else could it be there would First be the plant made made nice new big leaves when I planted it, and now the new leaves are all very small. It, it could be a range of things. Uh, it, it could be the pH of the soil, uh, the change of environment, the shock. Uh, it could it be years dis ago. disease on uh, secateurs, uh, pathogens. That yeah, there's a a lot of things that could be. Mm. I always uh, disinfect my secateurs with methyl um, before I cut. Um, yeah. So, is there one thing I should try to to eliminate? I would suggest digging out all the soil and putting in new soil for the best chance. But if it was something, perhaps if the wall was limestone and, and that's leaching, that's increasing the pH. So there could be a lot of factors, perhaps even getting a garden consultant in who could test the soil or just look at the whole picture in case there's something that we're, we're not getting here on the show. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, I know we are getting close. So do, we, do we have to finish off now? Or? We, we, do, we do, I'm afraid, Eve. Yeah, okay. All right. Thank you very much and Thanks. all the best to you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye for now. Cheers for that. And we do have a winner of our $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees, Jeannie of Beach Bar. Good on you, Jeannie. And, of course, the answer, I'll give you quickly the question. For fans of Sylvester the Cat, the one that used to chase Tweety Pie, the expression suffering succotash will be familiar. What would you plant if you wanted to make succotash? Two main ingredients are corn and beans. Good on you, Jeannie. Thanking Bev Daring and John Glidden and our very own Faye Akaro. George Minoli is up next with a classic 60s. And my gardenism to leave you with this morning is life begins the day you start a garden. And would you like <laughs> something to add? Oh, I've got a lot to add, but I'm going We're to leave running it there, out of time. <laughs> All right. Happy gardening, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.